0: we welcome you to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. We Love Arabian Horses has a simple goal, to promote the Arabian breed to those outside of our community, moms, dads, and kids of all ages. And of course, horse lovers from every walk of life. Thank you for listening. This episode of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast is sponsored by Markel. Markel is the insurance with horse sense. If you'd like to learn more, visit MarkelInsurance.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-L-Insurance.com. And let them know we sent you.
1: This is Paul Costa with the We Love Riding Horses podcast. And today I'm thrilled to have Joe and Kim Orr with us. Welcome to the program, you guys. Thank you. Thank you. We are thrilled to talk to you guys. I know you guys are are big, small breeders, and you've gotten yourself into some fantastic showing and breeding of Arabian horses, and we'd like to learn a little bit more about your story. Most every podcast, we start with kind of the first question, which is, where did your passion begin, or how did you first find horses, and or Arabians in particular, kind of what led you to where you are today?
2: Joe? We've been married for about 20 years, so we both had past lives before we got married. I got into the Arabian horses uh, in about 1985. I was... I was running a car dealership. A couple came in and wanted to trade two horses in on a car. So they came up to me, the managers, and said, what do we do? And I said, anyway, I went and talked to them, and I took them in trade. And they ended up being great trail horses, and that was – they weren't Arabs, but they were trail horses. And then and then I uh, I was in a barn there where I'd go and, and prepare them for trails, and there was a guy that was working with reining horses, and that got my heart going, the reining horses. So they were sliding and spinning. Sure. So uh, I asked him if we'd go buy one, and so we went and bought a two-year-old. That was the beginning of uh, my passion for Arabians. Then we started. The, the that ocean. one was the two. The two-year-old was an Arabian. Correct. Yeah, that was the beginning That's, of our introduction to those beautiful animals. Gotcha. And yeah. Kim, what about yourself?
3: Well, I've never had horses until we just recently got back into Arabian Horses. So that came as a surprise to me. We were living in a golf course, and Joe came home and said he leased a mare and got her in full. And a couple months later, we were moving to a horse ranch. So that was my first entry into owning horses, though I've always loved them my whole life.
1: So you went from no horse to horse and a ranch all within a short period of time?
3: Yes. And I think eight horses in in no time flat. <laughs>
1: wow! So Joe, essentially, you were the one that had it the um, interest twenty some odd years prior, and then you all together seven years ago started with your first Arabian. Twenty years later, how old were you all about at that time?
3: Let's see. I was about forty nine, and Joe about fifty
1: two. Wow. I think that's an interesting topic because so many people, more than we really realize, um, get started later in life, either had horses when they were a child or have come back to it or first time ever, and I think that's a really interesting topic, and that compelled you all. Well, Was there anything about it that had you interested then?
2: Well, you know, again, when I started in 84, I bought that, that first Arabian horse as a two-year-old, and he went on to become a regional champion and then a Scottsdale champion. And then we sold them to Don Ulmer and went on to be U.S. national champion, Canadian national champion. So I thought it was easy. <laughs> yeah, wow. So so um, we then got interested in Halter, and, uh, you know, we just had a passion for the animals. You know, the, they're just the most regal creatures, and it's kind of like Zen when you're next to them. So.
1: You've mostly been doing breeding and then showing in the breeding arena, right? Yes.
3: Yeah, that's all we've been doing. We haven't done any performance showing at all.
2: Yeah.
1: So that first time when y'all got back in seven years ago was for the breeding purpose, purpose of showing and breeding Arabian horses.
2: Yep, showing and breeding. We wanted to stay real small, and we've uh, I think we've accomplished that. We have six stalls here, although we have ten horses. <laughs> um, but, you know, they have babies, and, and then that whole circle happens. But, uh, yeah, so we, we just adore every bit of it our lifestyle with these horses, epitome of life, we think.
1: Well, and I think you guys have d- taken the plunge by living on the property that you also keep your horses, and that also brings them closer to home, obviously, and there's a lot of involved in that and t- from a lifestyle perspective. Do you all enjoy that?
3: Yes, we love it. Um, it's really amazing to sit out on our back porch and look at the horses graze with their babies by their side. It's one of my favorite things that we we have in our lives
2: yeah we sit out here at the evening grab a grab a wine or just put the horses out we can actually, our pasture is right by our back door so we can just reach out and touch them and the babies come over and oh wow watch the babies play and the sun sets it's just we couldn't ask for a better paradise a lifestyle really that's what it is for us you know we look at it as a just an expensive golf course membership <laughs> yeah <laughs> You know, we used to live on the golf course and we were on the ninth hole and right next to our house was the swimming pool for the club and the and the bar and our house was kinda of all a part of that. So it was a great lifestyle, but nothing like nothing like the horse business and the people that we've met and the travels that we've done. It's I, I highly I, I wish that all people our age would spend at least a decade with one of these gorgeous animals.
1: Yeah. Where are y'all located? For those that don't know you, where where is your farm?
3: We're in Ridgefield, Washington, just about twenty minutes outside of Portland, Oregon. How
1: many acres do y'all have there? Are you you are you contained with your tent, or are you planning on adding some expansion wings?
3: Well we're we're pretty contained. There's nowhere for us to grow here. We're five acres and we're surrounded by other horse ranches. Wow. So, and five acres is, we didn't realize that it just wasn't going to be enough to let our youngsters grow up. So we're always faced with what do we do with our little ones that need a little time to grow before they move into either halter or into the um, the performance arena. So we sure. probably eventually will want to get some more land. We love our house and we love our farm, but it, it'd be nice to have 10 acres. That would be really great.
2: We've been talking about, you know, our, our horses as they as they grow older, we'd like to let them live their life in pasture. Sure. Just just experience the the twenties, yeah, enjoy all that. So who knows what the future holds.
1: Well time will tell, right? You've got this interesting focus on the breeding. What what really attracted you about the breeding? Is it is it having those babies and watching them grow up? Are you trying to build a breeding program? What what are your thoughts and goals on that?
3: I think I enjoy the babies. I I love the breeding. I love the mares living on our farm. I'm I'm not a real person that loves to get into the show ring. It makes me more nervous than happy. Joe would tell you the opposite. He loves the show ring. So Not
2: showing. We're not talking about showing ourselves, just having our horses showing.
3: I think that we would both love to breed a horse that got into the show ring. I think that would be really rewarding to have that happen. So that
2: that's my goal. Yeah, we have a we have a vision of and it took us a while to create that vision, but we've got it now of the outline of the exact horse that we want to create. And it's fun. It takes you gotta have patience. We were told that by some of our mentors. You gotta have patience because breeding does not happen overnight. But it's really fun to watch the babies grow and see what you've created by taking the time to choose the mother and then taking the time to choose the sire and mm-hmm. and that all that research. Um but our goal is to breed world class breeding and show stock that can go and win at the highest level.
1: That's fantastic. And you've already at this I would say fairly young stage in your breeding program, have already begun to map out a plan.
2: We have, yes. We've been we've been fortunate. Um uh we've made we've chosen to purchase some mares that are proven been proven brood mares. They've proven uh you know, some have been national champions international champions and they've bred champions and international champions. And then uh, we've had babies from them and uh, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have some luck in the show ring. And uh, I think we've got a good focus now on, for instance, we just became partners with Arya Rakeem. My wife specifically Mm -hmm. fell in love with him on accident. And then I did also. And um, now we're, we think he's going to be a super sire. So we have three of our mares in full to him. We actually uh, went out, we had two colts this year, so we went out and purchased two fillies by Aria. Oh, wow. Here. Yeah, one of them's here at our farm and the other one's coming on the 2nd of July. So, so yeah, so we're pretty focused on uh, on the breeding aspect of it and our vision.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, as a small breeder, you mentioned your mentors. I know mentors and breeding is really a critical thing. You know, what easy advice or advice would you have for those who might want to become a small breeder today? Those who are thinking about it or it's kind of out there and you want to give them a little piece of advice.
3: Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. So, I, I first I'd have to ask the question if they wanted to have a farm and have horses near them or if they wanted to just try breeding and see if they like it. My my suggestion would be two different suggestions. So, if someone just wanted to give it a try, I would suggest that they go out and find with the help of a trainer or someone who's very knowledgeable some uh, one of the best breeding mares in the country and then match them up with a stallion that would would be a really great match and then do an embryo transfer and have a baby that way before mm-hmm. investing in a mare um my, my suggestion if someone wanted a farm like us would be to buy mm-hmm. a mare like Jasmineia, some, uh, a mare that just melts your heart, that you love to be around, and then, you know, they have a baby by their side and you get to enjoy that aspect of it. So I, I guess it just depends on what that person wanted to do, how they were going to enter the business.
1: Right. Well, that makes a good point. The two distinctions, uh, especially if you're going to live with them or not,
2: that is a point of clarification. Right. Joe, what do you say to that? Yeah, well, Kim and I have a little difference of opinion there because I would, um, and I totally agree with her, if we stayed on the golf course, you know, go find a great mare and uh, purchase an embryo. But if we're going to have a little farm and you've got five, two to five acres and you want to start off, knowing what I know today, I would go out and find the best producing mares in the country that have produced champions that – that look like my vision of the perfect Arabian, and I would purchase embryos, either one, two, or three, depending on what we can afford. And then I'd I'd get some uh, mentors to help me pick out stallions for those mares, and then have, bring the recips back to my farm, watch them get fat, have babies, enjoy all of that. You're off and running with uh, with three babies.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic what What do you say has been one of y'all's biggest learning experiences?:
3: I'll tell you a story about our first when we finally brought all of our horses home because we had to build a barn and um we we brought all the horses home at the same time from all over the country, and one of the horses had something that was contagious, not dangerous to the horses, but contagious to the horses, and so we learned right away. <laughs> That Not to use the same brushes on all of your horses, one of them had ringworm interestingly enough, and it was in in very short order that we gave ringworm to all of our horses through brushing them and grooming them and so that was that was an interesting and very tough first lesson to learn yeah
0: you
2: know <laughs> another one that I would say is is find yourself a uh you know a tribe that you really enjoy, you know be it a trainer that you can. Right, enjoy and, and their people, because that's part of the a, a big part of the fun is the people, and find, right. find find a group that you can you know travel with that that travels and can enjoy, and you'll you'll meet some great friends there, and you'll learn a lot from other breeders, and and that's what we've done. You know, we we got with with royal arabians and the group of people from trainers to owners to breeders. Uh, to just show people. I mean, they've just been fantastic, and we've we've traveled the world with them, and it's been a big addition to our lifestyle.
1: Well, I was going to ask you that, and, and it, it kind of applies, first of all, domestically, y'all fly quite a bit to shows and other events, um, but also internationally, y'all have done a lot of travel for the um, Arabian horses. What are some of the key moments you've had in your international
2: travels? Well, for me, one of the biggest ones was Aachen. Aachen kind of took me by surprise. It was our first trip uh, I think our, our first big show overseas and wow gorgeous horses and and people competing from all over that side of the world and it was mm-hmm. just such a different energy and that whole experience of those style of horses really opened our eyes to a different type of arabian and we really uh, are are attracted to that you know I'd say it's a combo european American style, you know, a combo between Brazil. We've been to Brazil, so Brazil and European and American. There's a combo there that we are trying to build and create.
1: Well, I've noticed with um, my own travels that the American and then the European and the Brazilian, they're all getting more and more similar as time passes. And we are also internationally connected through social media and other devices um that the the commonality and the, the the they're they're more similar between the three um which used to be more distinct. does that make sense
2: yeah that's great news
1: so if you guys were getting started today what what would be some of the first things that you would do to start making your map that you know now versus then?
3: Well, now, now versus then, I definitely would want to go to a place where there's a lot of farms, like Scottsdale, Arizona, and look at multiple farms and multiple lines of breeding to get a feel of what kind of horse really connects with you, because everyone sort of has their different style of what they're producing. And then also figuring out which one of those, those farms that you just really connect with, because the trainers in this industry are really important. So, getting in line with a trainer that you really like early on would, I think, be very important.
2: And I'll just share that we made a mistake early on because my passion was my fault. I didn't. I'm I'm a, I jump in and I'm all in kind of a guy. At first place we went to, I just fell in love with the stallion. I bought embryo or I bought uh, breedings and leased a mare and. Instead of doing what Kim suggests, so I would, if I had a friend or a relative getting involved, part of the fun is doing the shopping, not just buying the first right. thing. Right.
1: Well, and Kim, you pointed out, you know, not only is the farm important where you might be doing business, but their bloodlines there will make a difference versus other bloodlines that you may or may not like as much. And there are differences in the bloodlines. And then the people that are connected to that, all of those things are very important components, I think is what you were pointing to.
3: Yes. Absolutely. And finding out where you click and, and where you feel comfortable and like you could really go that direction is important.
1: Well, and having been horse owners for decades, many folks that are listening to this podcast, I'm sure everyone along the way has made a purchase or two that maybe wasn't the best fit for them, and they find out later and they learn from that. And so it seems yes. like that's part of what you're talking about.
3: Yes. Well, and it's a long road when you get a mare in full. It's 11 months before you see that baby. And so, you know, that's a huge exercise in patience. So knowing what you get yourself into before you do it is, I think, very important.
1: Well, there's a big, um, you know, kind of education that has to happen, and it's not like there's one central source to go find that information and to learn. So having the mentors, kind of what we talked about earlier, would sound like a really good um, component
2: of what you're talking about.
3: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, we got very fortunate with mentors because we're really open. We ask a lot of questions, and we, we had a lot of mentors, and uh, we're appreciative. We still have mentors, and we will until the day we die, but um, they're just so gracious. These Arabian horse people and horse people in general are just so gracious with their information and sharing and sharing their mistakes and their victories and their their pains and their sorrows. I mean, it's it's a life living with these animals.
1: That's so true. So how many horses, how many babies do you all have typically each year?
3: Between one and three has is, is been pretty standard for us. We usually try for more, but sometimes it just doesn't happen. So right. we've had um, a lot of fun with the babies that we have had. Right now we have three mares in full, so we're very excited for next year. That'll be really great if all those babies hit the ground. Yeah. And We're really excited about who we've bred our mares to, so that'll yeah. be fun.
2: You asked us earlier about um, our future, you know, what we envision, and right now we just purchased two Aria Rakeem fillies that we think have pretty close to perfect bodies, shoulders, you know, everything we're looking for. Hopefully, well, we have two mares of ours that we adore in full to Arya Rakeem, and we're hoping those are fillies. that will give us four, and that could be an interesting future breeding stock. They're all from different mares, all from different mare lines that are all fantastic, so excited about the future that's part of the fun sure yeah
1: well i kind of hear in the background um you talking about buying a bigger place in the middle of that (laughs) (laughs)
2: well the only reason we do that is because as these horses you know we love them and they become like dogs we just there's Mm -hmm. some that you just cannot sell for any price and they deserve to have a life and with us being on just five acres, it's kind of hard to let these horses over the next 30 years, depending on how many babies we have, grow up and uh, have a life right here at our ranch. So if we do, it'll be for, um, we won't want to be much bigger on our breeding side, but we would enjoy having horses uh, on the rest of our acreage that are living their lives.
1: That's fantastic. Yeah. So name of uh, one of the horses, and it could be different for each of you, that y'all have owned that has been one of your more special horses.
3: Well, that's tough because I have two that are equal in each hand. We have Aria and Jasminia, um, and I love them both so much. They're so sweet and so beautiful, and when they go out in the field, they just stuff their tails, and they love themselves.
2: Moving art.
1: So
3: it's. They just they both bring a lot of joy to me, and they're they're both really productive brood mares as well, so I'm just real excited to get some daughters from them
2: And, you know Jasmine is very you know one of our best times uh, our best experiences was when Jasminea won the world cup oh wow, at the age of four, yeah, she was just phenomenal and gorgeous and sweet, and Guzo and his son. I um, absolutely love her and spent so much time preparing her and you know she won Scottsdale International Champion junior champion just a very accomplished black bay piece of art just when she walks she's just got that feminine quality and, and ethereal look so yeah
1: and how were... long ago was that win
3: when... well oh, it was just last year that we did the world cup
1: yeah Gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this all happened very recently.
3: Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. And now she's going to be a broodmare. You're not planning on showing her again.
2: That's up in the air. Guzo wants to take her to nationals. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Wait, only gotcha. thing she hasn't won is U.S. nationals yet. It's... No, I, I totally
1: understand. Well, and you become so attached to these horses, and you want to see them Not only these mares have their great career in the show ring, if you do that, and then have their babies and continue to produce for you for decades to come, it sounds like she will be a keeper forever.
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And is she one of the ones that you're having um, a baby from this coming year?
2: Yes. She's in full to Ari Rakeem. We're very excited.
1: So what do you see as your, say, next three to five years as a breeder? And talking about being a small breeder, what would you lay out as your three to
2: five year plan? Well, um, we want to travel with some of our great friends um, all over the world to some of the shows we haven't been to. We haven't been to Menton yet. We want to go to Menton. We want to have a horse show in Menton. We're hoping it's Aria Rakim. If not, then one of his foals, we'd like to have a horse showing there. Got a couple of trainers picked out over there we built some relationships with that we really like. We also would like to see these uh, these babies grow up and achieve some some pretty big wins in the show rank. We really want to show mm-hmm. people what uh, what we believe Arya Rakeem can do, uh, as far as building a, a kind of a, an evolution of the Arabian horse. And we're going to enjoy that you know that whole show experience. Kim doesn't enjoy it as much as I do because she gets real nervous. But I just I can't explain it. I just when when Jasmineia won, I was on my feet and just you know had my hands on my head. I just you can't believe it when it actually happens. And, That's right. It's just such a such a ride. So, yeah, three to five years is is uh, not very long in this business, but we'll have another generation by then. And again, are traveling with some of our dear friends to some of the shows. Paris, we haven't wow. been to Dubai. Yeah, those are the three shows that we have have yet to uh, to go to. Hopefully, in the next three to five years, those will all be in our notch in our belt.
1: Well that's fantastic. Well, in closing, do y'all have any last little words of advice you'd like to share with a small
2: breeder? You know, the only thing I'd like to say is that there's there's so much more than horses. It's it's my meditation time when I'm next to these horses. It's it's a lifestyle. It's such an addition to your life. It was unexpected for us. We had a life on the golf course we were enjoying and loving, but this is so much more. It's life is short and and if you if you have interest or even if you you know, don't, don't have a farm. We have friends that don't have a farm who have bred their first horse. They bred was a, was a Scottsdale champion Colt. And they have, you know, U S national champion horses and they don't even have a farm. So they can still experience it if if they're close to you. For the people out there that are are thinking about it, I would say, go take your time, visit and uh, visit some trainers and feel the people and I think you'll have a big addition to your the rest of your life it's like nothing else
3: so um, I think my suggestion for breeders small breeders new breeders is to really stay true to the horse that, that you're hoping to create I think that sometimes people get caught up in fashion and I don't know if fashion is, is the right way to breed. I think that we should breed for confirmation. We should breed for the horse to be able to perform, not just show in the halter ring. And the, the overall beauty, to me, is more important than a singular, outrageous attribute. Right. So, so when, when, when I'm making breeding decisions, I, I want to breed the whole horse. And um, I think that unfortunately sometimes people get too caught up in a singular aspect, and, and you might lose something important that you don't realize you're losing by doing that. So that, that's what I would suggest, that people just stay true to what they want and not get sucked into fashion.
1: Well, that is great advice. If anyone wants to reach out to you guys, what is an easy email address to send you all a note?
2: Uh, Joe at Rose City Arabians.
1: Tim and Joe, we really appreciate you guys being here um, on this podcast, and I know you guys are very open and helpful to others um, and really appreciate the insight you've shared with us today. Thank
2: you so much. And, Paul, what you do is so important for the breed, and we just want to put out our appreciation for all that you do, the time and the effort and the, the love that you have, and we want to support you in any way that we possibly can, so please stay in contact.
1: Well, thank you, and we love riding horses. Thanks, you too.
0: This is Austin, director of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. Thanks for listening. If you want to share ideas, feedback, or want to get involved, send me an email at austin at com.